Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? I know you're awake because the Water Boys Choir woke you up, right? Yeah? Wasn't that awesome? Man, these guys were rocking. They was great. Thank you guys for coming. Well, if you don't know me, my name is Eric Miller, and I'm one of the pastors on staff here, and it's a joy and a privilege to get to continue this, this summer series. It's called You Pick, as you just saw on my little bumper there. Um, and last week, we, we were talking about evangelism. The past two weeks, in fact, we were talking about evangelism. And if you remember, all of this is based off of a survey that we did for our church a few months back, where we asked you, what are some things that you'd like to hear us uh, as pastors talk about at church on Sunday through the summer. And so there, there was about 50 of you who filled out that survey. Thank you for those of you who took the time to do that. Uh, and there were topics that we asked you to help us uh, evaluate. What are things that you want to learn about? What are things that you want to hear through the summer? And evangelism was a big piece of that. How do I, how do I share the gospel with people? And so last week, uh, we even gave five practical ways uh, that you can do that, that you can engage in a spiritual conversation. I'm curious, out of those of you who were here last week, how many of you had a chance to have a spiritual conversation? Anybody? Awesome. That's awesome. There are some hands up. That's great. Uh, I hope, it's my prayer that that will continue, because that's not like, you know, this isn't a church where like, okay, we did that now, now what's the next thing? And we're done. We don't have to do that again. Whew. No. Like, keep going, right? As Pastor R was kicking off this series, praying for those people, praying for them. Man, how do you pray for them? Set those reminders. Pray for those people. That's a huge part of this, but continue looking for opportunities to do that. Now, I'm guessing that for most of us, myself included, in doing that, in, in praying for somebody, in praying for somebody in my life that, that God's put in my path that I can have a spiritual conversation with, um, I'm going to be honest with you, it's, it's usually somebody that's pretty easy to talk to right? If we're honest, it's usually the person that, that we see on a regular basis. It's the person that, that is really, it's really just, we have a lot of things in common with, and it's really easy to talk to them about Jesus. But here's the reality. There's a flip side of that too. What do we do with the people who are so different from us that we really, on the surface, we, we don't think we have anything in common with? What do we do with the people who are really, really difficult to love, like, man, they just get under your skin. Don't make eye contact. Don't elbow somebody next to you. We're not talking about the people in this room, okay? So don't do that. Don't do that. So I, I want to, this morning, as, as Pastor R even mentioned earlier, we're going to be talking about unity, but it's really through this guise of, of how do we love people who are difficult? How do we love people who are different from us? Now, let's be clear. Okay, I'm, I'm not talking about your husband. I'm not talking about your wife. I'm not talking about your kids. Okay, I'm not talking about the, the people who won't leave you alone when you're trying to take a nap. I'm not talking about the people who, who eat all your food when they come over to your house. Those are your friends, okay? That's your family. Those are your children, okay? Uh, I'm not talking about the, the, the family member that pushes your buttons because they know you so well and they push your buttons, right? I'm not talking about the server at the restaurant that, that doesn't refill your water fast enough, okay? We're not going down those paths today. We're not talking about the person who doesn't drive the way that you want them to drive, as difficult and different as they may be. We're not going there, okay? But what we are talking about is the person with a very different faith background than you. Maybe somebody who's atheist or agnostic, or maybe somebody who is of a different religion, 
Buddhist or Muslim or you name it. Maybe there's a person who, who hates you, who, who literally hates you because you've identified with Christ, because you've identified as, as a follower of him. I'm talking about the person who's, who's so different culturally from you in, in seemingly every way. The people that maybe we don't speak the same language as them. Maybe the people that we don't understand their culture, their food, the music they listen to, and it irritates us, right? It, it causes us that friction. Our emotions go up. We're talking about the person whose life is filled with evil things, who are so very different from us that when we're together with them, we feel uncomfortable. We feel on edge. Hopefully you can all picture somebody like that. They're probably not in this room. How do we love that person? How do we love that person? And not just to love them for the sake of saying, man, I'm a good person, I love them, but for the sake of pointing them to Jesus, that they too would have a saving relationship with Christ. And so through this summer series, one of the the topics that we asked you about is, is equality, is unity, and, and you responded and you voted. That was one of the ones that, that many of you asked us to talk about. How do, we, how do we be unified with all people? Here were, I even went back and looked at the, the survey and some of the responses, some of the comments that, that you filled in. And it was an anonymous survey and we don't really know who these people are, but somebody said this, they said, I, I wanna know how do I love one another as the Bible teaches versus judging by enforcing rules against others. You may feel like that sometimes, like, man, I really wanna know, how, how do I love people according to what the Bible teaches versus it feels sometimes like I'm, I'm judging people by holding up this list of rules. Somebody else said, I, I wanna know how to show love to our family members and friends when they are staunch and vocal advocates of what, based on God's word, is clearly wrong. You probably know people like that. I'm guessing you're friends with somebody on Facebook like that. And you've hidden their page. You've unfriended them. Somebody else said, what are some specific ways I can, I can show love to someone who is very different from me and when I disagree with their choices? Do you have someone in your life like that where, where you, man, it seems like every decision, every choice that they make, you just, you disagree with you don't understand, you get frustrated by. What are some specific ways I can show love to those people? These were some of the comments that we got. Another one, how to love and witness to the LGBT community and how to create a relationship with them to be able to share the gospel without them thinking that I agree with their lifestyle. It's hard things in our world today, isn't it? Oh, it's very difficult. How do we do that? How do we love people well and point them to Christ and yet not necessarily agree with the things that they do? And so I just wanted to share a few of my thoughts as, as I have been preparing for this and thinking about it and, and, and really praying over these questions. I, I want to answer those things. I know Pastor R uh, and the rest of our team would love to talk with you on those things. And we're not necessarily gonna go real deep in that, but in just a minute, we're gonna look at how Jesus modeled his life and the example that he gave us in dealing with difficult and different people. 
And so if you need a Bible, you can raise your hand and we'll get you one. You can also follow along on our YouVersion app, the live event. But I want to just, I want to take a couple minutes here and respond to some of these comments because I think they represent a larger portion than just these four people who wrote these comments. I think they represent a lot of us and we have a lot of questions probably about these things. So the very first one, how do we love one another as the Bible teaches us versus judging others? And my first thought with, with this is, look, there, there's a lie that the enemy has is sown in our culture that we can't judge people. And oftentimes people will quote Matthew 7, 1, where Jesus said, hey, don't judge, lest you too should be judged. And it's kind of this like, excuse, like, well, you shouldn't judge anyone. And, and there is that. There definitely is that piece of it, okay? But at the same time, in Matthew 7, Jesus goes on and he expounds on like there, there are things that he literally says you have to assess. You have to, to look at the fruit that they produce. You have to guard yourselves from false prophets, he says. So there is this, this tension. And, and so I want to I remind us to judge, but don't judge. And here's what I mean by that. We have to assess. We, we have to evaluate right from wrong according to what the Bible teaches, Right? And so when somebody tells a lie, they're a liar. But me being the judge over them means that I determine the punishment for their sin. And that's what I think Scripture's saying we don't get to do. God does that. So I don't reside over anybody as their judge, but I, I am called as a believer to evaluate, to assess, and truthfully to speak truth into those people's lives in love. And so, man, if you need to love somebody, then love them. If it feels like you're judging them, more often you're evaluating their outward appearance, you're watching their every move, you're waiting for them to mess up, then that's judging. But if you love them well, it looks quite different. If you love them, it looks different. How do we show love to our family members and friends when they're staunch and, and vocal advocates of what, based on God's word, is clearly wrong? I think showing love by loving them. We know really, really well what we feel like when somebody loves us. We know we can even make a list of the things that, that we love when they love us well, right? When they serve us, when they call us by name, when they care about us, when people invest time and energy having a conversation with them. Well, there, there's a long list of things that make us feel loved as, as humans, as individuals. And yet if we don't do those very things with other people, then are we really loving them? What does that look like? Don't debate them on everything. You probably have family members or friends that disagree with you on a lot of things. And look, it's exhausting to debate them on everything, right? Pick and choose your battles. <laughs> you probably know of those people that all they want to do is argue and debate. And even though you may always be right, <laughs> it's still not to your advantage to tell them all the time. That's really not loving them well. What about this? What are some specific ways that I can love someone who's different than me when I disagree with their choices? Last week I gave you five practical things involving get to know them, know their names, love them, which some of that we're talking about here, but ask questions, right? Ask questions. Do you really know them? Do you have things in common with them? Ask questions about their beliefs. 
and why they believe what they believe, to truly get to know them. I think those are specific ways that, that we can learn to be building bridges with these people. And so then it doesn't come across like we're just straight disagreeing with them, debating with them all the time, but that we're truly wanting to learn and understand because we love them. What about this one? How, how do we love and witness to the LGBT community without necessarily agreeing with their lifestyle? Look, I think it's the same kinds of things. Building a relationship by getting to know them, asking questions, finding things that you do have in common. Ask this question. Hey, why do you believe what you believe? What do you believe? I, I, have you ever stopped and asked somebody different from you those questions? What do you believe? Why? What do you believe about the Bible and why? And just be a listener. Let go of your debate. Let go of the, 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 the points that you have so quickly ready to answer. Listen. Pray. Love. Learn. Engage in relationship. My wife says this all the time. There's responsibility to and responsibility for. It's my responsibility to love people. It's my responsibility to speak truth to them. It's my responsibility to do things for other people depending on the circumstance, but I am not responsible for how they respond to those things. And so if we're doing that well, if we're loving people well, if we're speaking truth in love well, then we're not responsible for how they respond to that, but we are responsible for how we ourselves handle these situations and these people who are different and difficult from us. So here's the question of the morning. How do we love those who are different and difficult to love? How do we do this? I think there's no better way than to look at what Jesus did, right? So if you are willing, let's, let's dive deep into scripture today. We're gonna start out in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. If you have a Bible, turn there with me. I would love for you guys to look at God's word together because here's the reality. There's going to be things that, that God's going to empower the Holy Spirit to jump out on the pages of scripture that I may not even say. And so it's of great benefit for you to be following along and looking at God's word. In John chapter 13, verse 34, we see Jesus teaching his disciples and he says, look, a new command I give you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. It's kind of like, okay, we got it the first time. Love one another. But he said it twice because some of us are thick-headed. By this, he says, verse 35, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So how do we love people? I think, is Jesus talking about here just the people that are really easy to love? No, unfortunately not. That's not how it's written in my Bible here. In Philippians 2, verse 3, he says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Now, that's a great verse, but here's the reality. We could go back and we could read Philippians 2. We could read verses 1 through 18, and I would encourage you to do so. We don't have time to do that today. But to put it in context of love and what Christ did for us. Oh my goodness, he loves us. I've never known a love like his. He loves us. And he challenges us to, to do nothing from selfish ambition 
or conceit, but in humility to count others more significant than yourselves. I, I, that's a verse, I gotta be honest, I really don't like that one. I don't know about you guys, but I just, I don't like that verse. You can go home and say, hey, the pastor said that he didn't like God's word. That'll turn some heads, right? But honestly, like, if I'm honest, as, as a human being, these are hard things. This isn't easy to do. Go make disciples? Okay, I can figure that out. Honor your mother and father? Okay, I can probably, I can do that, I think, with your help, God. But, but, to count others as better than myself? It's hard. In Romans, Romans chapter 5, verse 8, Apostle Paul says this. He says, but God shows his love for us that while, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let's think about this for just a second. Oftentimes, when, when we're trying to share our faith with somebody, we expect them to, to like fix themselves, to, to clean themselves up a little bit before they come to Jesus. And that's not what Christ did. I am so glad that while I was still a sinner, Jesus died for me. I didn't have to do anything to earn it. I didn't have to clean myself up to receive his salvation. Neither did you. Neither does anyone. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Do you think that's counting others better than himself? Oh my goodness. If we go back to Philippians 2, it says that he emptied himself. He made himself nothing for us. That's powerful. And yet, he invites us to be a part of his plan, to be part of his kingdom. Last week, we looked at the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, where, where Jesus himself says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded them. And then he gives that promise, surely I will be with you always. And that's what he's inviting us to be a part of. So when we do that, we're representing him. It's not something that we get to say, yeah, it's easy to love this person, but that person is really hard. So Jesus, thank you for putting this person in my life. I'm gonna do it really well with them. I'm gonna serve them. I'm gonna love them. I'm gonna speak truth to them. I'm gonna invest my time and energy and, and, and money with them because it's easy. But this person, God, you, surely you've got somebody else for them, right? <laughs> Pastor R is the person for them. Hey, R, I got, a, I got a guy for you. I got a project for you. We do that, don't we? And then that person continues to show up in your life again and again. And the more and the more you see them, the more and the more you get irritated by them. And I think that's God's way of saying, hey, love one another, love one another, love one another, love one another, love one, love one another. <laughs> How are we doing this? All right, let's look at two examples. In Mark chapter two, uh, uh, this is so cool. In Mark chapter two, we see where, where Jesus is, is calling his disciples. And, and we get to see somebody who is so very different from Jesus and how he loves this person. This person is so very different 
from Jesus. On the surface, when you think Jesus, son of God, born of a virgin, you know, all these things that the miracles that Jesus did, the, the, the like righteous and religious person that he is, and this person was so very different, so very opposite. Let's look at it in Mark chapter two, starting in verse 13. It says this, he, Jesus, went out again beside the sea and all the crowd was coming to him and he was teaching them. He was teaching them. Oftentimes we think of Jesus' ministry like, man, this is the most important part of what he did. He was teaching them. He was teaching them. And it says in verse 14, as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at a tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and he followed him. And as he reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he, Jesus, was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus himself, son of God, spending time with sinners and this irritated, this agitated, this upset these people, these religious leaders. There's a couple things that I want to point out. First of all, when Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples, it was that idea of as you go, where you go, on the path of where you're going. Jesus models this to us. As he's going, as he passed by, he saw, he stopped and he saw this man. And last week we talked about the importance of knowing people's names. Knowing people's names. Here, I think far too often it would be so easy to just categorize this man as a tax collector. He's evil based on what he does. That's what the world did to him. That's the context of the culture that he lived in. But Jesus saw individuals, not labels. He didn't just look at the outward appearance, he looked at the heart. And I love that it says that he was a man by name who's the son of, and he happened to be sitting at a tax collector's booth. He's not identified as a tax collector, but he's identified as Levi, the son of Alphaeus, who is sitting at a tax collector's booth. See, even in the way that this is, is written, it's written based on his true identity, and Jesus saw potential in him. Jesus sees potential in him. He, he gives an opportunity for him to follow him, to be a disciple of him. And so then it says that Jesus went to Levi's house. He went to Levi's house. That, that, that person that you know that, that's difficult, that's so different from you, have you been to their house? Jesus went to Levi's house with all of his friends. Now Jesus brought his squad too. That was funny. <laughs> Anyways, Jesus brought his friends to meet Levi's friends and he's hanging out with them. Can you only imagine, use, use your sanctified imagination, can you imagine what they must have been talking about? So Levi, you're a tax collector. What, uh, what, do you, what do you like about your job? 
So, Jesus, you're really the son of God, huh? Yeah, this is awkward. I I can't even begin to imagine what they must have been talking about. And yet, I'm guessing it was nothing like that. I'm guessing Jesus was just so loving and caring. I'm guessing he quickly found things in common with them. Man, this food is incredible. I love hummus. I don't know. I I have no idea. (laughs) But I'm guessing he found things in common, right? It even says, it even goes so far that he's reclining at the table with them. It's not like he's on the edge of his seat. It's not like he's pointing fingers. His posture is even listed. He didn't try to fit in either. He didn't try to conform them to who he was. He didn't try and change them. He didn't let social status or cultural norms dictate his relationships with these people either. He just didn't care. Let everybody see and know. Can you imagine what what on earth are, are the Pharisees doing? They're like looking in the window, this guy's house. Can you imagine this? And then it says that they're like asking the disciples like, hey, Peter, Peter, come here. What is he doing with those guys? Don't you know they're sinners? And I just picture Peter kind of like, dude, I am too. And you definitely are. And the Pharisees like, don't judge me. <laughs> and Jesus, it says that when, when he hears this, he, he speaks the truth in love. He didn't shy away from speaking truth. But he said, look, I, I didn't come for the righteous. I, I came for the sick. It reveals his heart. He, here's something that, that's so important. Man, this is so important. Jesus operated on three levels. He operated on what he knew, he operated on what he felt, and he operated on what he did. Know, feel, do. And for us, I think we have to ask the same question. What do we know about the people in our lives that are are so very different from us? Because oftentimes we probably don't really know anything about them. But it creates an emotional response in us where we feel something and we feel it very strongly. And isn't it true that oftentimes what we know about someone or something relates to how we feel about that something or someone, and it causes a decision that we make in how we respond and in our actions? I think this is true in anything. Know, feel, do. They're connected. What we know about something causes a response in our emotions, which causes us to react and respond in a certain way. And here's the thing, if we don't know, if we don't really know somebody, but we only feel we're making a judgment call on their outward appearance without getting to know them, and it causes us to feel a certain way, then we're going to respond in a certain way, aren't we? And I love what Jesus does here. With with Levi, he, he knew his name. He knew his occupation. He knew where he lived. He knew his friends. He knew details about his life. They shared a meal together. Jesus didn't invite Levi to come to his house. He went to Levi's house. He knew him. He knew him. And then, what what does he feel? We can look at this passage and ask the question, what does he feel? What does Jesus feel? I think we could make the argument that he sees great potential in Levi so much so that he invites him to be one of his disciples. 
And Levi gets a name change and he becomes Matthew and he becomes an incredible follower of Christ. You wouldn't do that if you didn't feel something about it. He sees him as sick and in need of healing. That's a feeling that Jesus feels towards Levi. And what does he do? He pursues him. He stopped. He, he, he saw him. He stopped. He calls him by name. He goes to his house. He does all these things in an act and in an attitude of love. He invests his time with him, even though it cost him something, according to his reputation. And ultimately, he invited him to follow Christ. That's something that we should do, that we get to be a part of. So again, I want to ask us, what do, we, what do we know, what do we feel, what do we do with the people who are different from us, who are so very difficult to love? Let's look at one more example, shall we? Let's look at one more. I think we've got time for this. In Later in Mark, Mark chapter 10, Mark chapter 10, verse 17, we see this scenario play out with somebody who's difficult. And you're gonna have to kind of go with me here because you probably know this story. But there's somebody who, who's difficult in Jesus' mind. Here's the setting, verse 17. As, as he, Jesus, was setting out on his journey, he, he's got somewhere to go. He's Jesus, for crying out loud. He's got people to see, places to go, babies to kiss, right? He's setting out on his journey and a man runs up to him and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Look at Jesus' response. Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And the man, he responds, he says to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. Notice he didn't call him good anymore. <laughs> Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. And Jesus looking at him, catch this, Jesus looking at him, he loved him. He loved this difficult man and he said to him, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me, he says. And disheartened, verse 22, by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said to them again, he said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. Here we see Jesus, he, he's, he's setting out on a journey, he's got somewhere to be, and this man who Jesus apparently doesn't know his name, it's not listed here, he's just known as the rich young ruler. This is one of those instances where Jesus is like headed somewhere and he doesn't really have time to invest in this relationship and so he's gonna quickly assess and have the conversation and then move on. We get that, that's called the grocery store, right? Where you got, okay, God, you got my name on this conversation. What do I do? This probably isn't somebody that I'm gonna be able to build a, a long-term relationship with, but here's what Jesus does with him. I, I think, here's why I think this man is, is difficult. 
knowing that Jesus is going somewhere, he's, he's set out, out on a journey, the man runs up to him. Have you ever had, like, you've just been standing, you're packing your bags, you're getting ready, and somebody runs up to you? That's weird, right? And then not just that he, like, runs up to him, he kneels down before him. Just picture this. You're packing your car to go on a trip. You're standing in your driveway. Maybe some of you keep the garage door closed so that this doesn't happen until you're ready to leave and you're in the car and it's safe to leave your home. (laughs) But can you imagine this person runs up to you and they bow down before you. Can I just have a moment of your time? What do you do in that situation? I imagine like this guy was a close talker too, just in my sanctified imagination. (laughs) Good teacher. And Jesus, even the, the, the fact that he calls him good teacher seems to bother him because Jesus' response is, why do you call me good? And he then uses it as a point to, to have God talk with him. Like we talked about last week where he says, no one is good except for God alone. Even in how he responds briefly to this difficult man, Jesus is pointing him to God. He's sharing the gospel in his response. None of us are good, humanly speaking, but only God. And then this man, he asks him his question, And it seems very clear that he's already made up in his mind what the answer is. Have you ever talked with somebody like that? (laughs) Tell me what I want to hear. But here's my question. And then you're, you're listening to their question. And you're understanding, you're assessing the situation. And you realize, the answer I have for you, you're, you're really not going to like So what does Jesus know about the man? He, he knows He's Jesus. He's son of God. Of course he knows everything about him. Yes, that's true. But in this moment, I think he's functioning in his humanity. And he speaks into his feeling. This man is looking for something to know. He's looking for something to know. And Jesus, he gets past that by asking him, okay, you know the commandments. You know what you need to do. And he says, yeah, check, check, I've done that, I've done that, I've done that. I've kept all these commandments. And so Jesus goes to the heart. And he says, there's one thing you lack. And man, I think in that phrase alone, Jesus is cutting to the heart of this man. And he's separating his head from his heart, what he knows versus what he feels. And I believe with everything I have that Jesus is hoping that in that gap, of what he knows versus what's in his heart, what he's feeling that Jesus is is hoping, he's praying. I just picture him praying like, God, come on, draw this guy to yourself. And he says, look, there's, there's one thing you lack. You have great wealth. Go and sell all your possessions, give it to the poor, and come and follow me. And I love that it says that Jesus looked at him and he loved him. What did Jesus know about this rich young ruler? He knew some of the details of his life. He knew what he had, and more importantly, what he didn't have. But he knew what he needed. He knew what he needed. And look, church, there are people in our lives that are difficult to love. They're extra grace required. (laughs) But do you know what they need? Do you know what they have? Do you know what they don't have? We've taken the time in the midst of our busy lives to have a conversation, to find out. 
that even in a moment, even in a sentence, we could look at them and love them, allowing our hearts to feel something, compassion, sympathy, empathy, understanding for them and their lives and the situation, the circumstances of where they are, that we would love them, that we would love them, regardless of the end result. Jesus spoke the truth to him. He, he, he loved him. That was the, the feeling that Jesus had towards him. It's clear. It's clear. But this man, he loved his wealth more than he loved anything else. And Jesus saw that. We saw that in his response because it says, he, he, disheartened, he walked away sorrowful because he had great wealth. Look, there are gonna be people in our lives that, that are gonna do the same. But I think just by looking at Jesus' response in these two scenarios, there, there are dozens of scenarios that I think we could have looked at with Jesus and how he interacted with the disciples, with Jesus and how he interacted with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, with Jesus and how he interacted with the people who were sick, the demon-possessed. Man, if we, we study God's word and we see how did Jesus respond to different and difficult people, I think very much that we will learn how to respond and how to relate to these people, how to love them well. And that's my hope and my prayer through this, that we will find those common interests, that we will ask questions, that we'll begin praying for people, that we'll truly be Christ ambassadors representing Jesus in Frederick County, in your workplaces, Church, this is a great invitation that Jesus gives us to be on mission with him. It's such a high calling and it's to be taken serious. There are people in your life that are easy to love and we're to share the gospel with them, but there are people in our lives that are difficult to love because they're so very different from us. And I think we see Jesus model that beautifully on both points. Would you pray with me? God, it's clear as we look at your word that there are hard truths that we need to learn. If we're honest, Lord, there are, there are things in your word that we really don't like <laughs> because it requires great sacrifice of us. And yet, God, in this moment, we're sitting here and we're grateful. We praise you because you paid the greatest sacrifice of all that while we were still sinners, you sent your son to die for us. We didn't earn it, we didn't deserve it. And God, you made a way through Christ that we could point people to you, that we could be on mission with you. God, help us to do that. Help us to take this serious, Lord, would you bring conviction through the power of the Holy Spirit on each and every one of us, Lord. Especially in the people who are difficult and different from us. God, the people that we try to walk or run away from, but you've allowed them to be in our lives for a reason, that we would be bold through the power of the Holy Spirit to love them well, to build relationships, to speak truth in love, 
and ultimately to invite them to follow you. We love you, God. We thank you for the opportunities that we have now ahead of us, both in this day and this week and in the year to come. Help us to go boldly, to be mighty warriors for your kingdom's sake that we would advance the gospel. We pray these things in your holy and precious name. Amen. Thank you, guys. Go be on mission with Jesus this week.